0: All right, let's get going. Um, today's a cool day. Uh, I'm excited about where we're starting. We are starting a series, and today, the title of the message today is called Prevailer. Um, because that's what God has called you to be. Is a prevailer. What that means is, in a just a street lingo definition, is a, pray, a prevailer is somebody that won because they just did not give up. And I'm here to tell you, no matter what you're going through, what you're facing right now, you are going to prevail if you do not give up. And so today we're going to jump into uh, stories on this series we're going over between now and Easter. That's a long series, but it's going to be different kind of. It's what I'm calling the Kairos series. The word Kairos means the moment that changes Every other moment. And we serve a Kairos God. Another definition of Kairos is God stepping into your life and the rest of it being different. Now, God does this systematically through our lives. He doesn't just do it one time and stop. His desire is for you to continually keep having kairos moments. That's why the Bible says that we're to go from glory to glory. In other words, we just don't get on to the mountaintop and hurrah, and then we're just standing around saying, what do I do with the rest of it? No, when God shows up in your life and He truly shows up, Every moment from that point on is different. But He plans to show up frequently into your life. And every time He does, it gets better and better and better. And so I know going into this series, if, you're, if you haven't walked with us for the last 10 years, you probably are going to be a little not understanding of Kairos as we go. But I'm going to try to lay out today... Uh, an understanding of what God has in store for you. Alright? Um, the Bible says that Jesus came to give life. Well, the Bible actually starts out like this. It says, The thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. And the devil's been at work in your life since the minute you hit the planet. And we're going to go over some of that here in just a bit. But the Bible says that God came, but He says, But I have come. To give you life. Man, what a powerful word. What God can do for you. I'm here to tell you, if you don't feel like you're living a life, man, God has life for you. And the first Kairos moment you've ever had is when you recognize that Jesus gave His life so that you can live life. And when you accept Jesus... As your Lord and Savior, that's a kairos moment. Never again in the future of that moment forward will your life be the same. Even after this life is over, that one moment changes eternity. But that's not where God stops, because the truth of the matter is this you can be saved and still be messed up, you can be saved and still be addicted. You can be saved and still be depressed. You can be saved and still broken. You can be saved and sick. You can be saved and angry. You can be saved and bitter. You can be saved and... I'm going to be honest with you. I've been saved a long time. And when I got saved, I was still majorly messed up. And I'm going to tell you another secret. I'm still pretty big a mess. Your mess does not mean you're not saved. Because the Bible says you just don't get saved. It says you are saved, but then it says this. It says that you are being saved. When I got saved, I accepted Jesus' life into my life. My spirit instantly came alive. I was born again on the inside. Now looking at heaven as my future and not the price of my sin, punishment, in hell. And my whole life changed. But my mind, my what the Bible calls my soul... See, I am a spirit that has a soul. And I live in this temple that is called a body. And my soul was still messed up, even though my spirit was born again. And my soul kept giving me all the... What is your soul? Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's why the Bible says... That we're not just saved, but we are being saved. And the process of being saved is God healing, fixing, going back and taking care of all the brokenness that we have in our mind, in our will, in our emotions. And, you know, some people call it brainwashing but you better be glad that God was willing to wash this brain because there was a lot of stuff in this brain that needed to be washed. And I'm so thankful that He didn't just give me a ticket to heaven and say, just go on and live the rest of your life the way it is. But He opened an invitation for me for God to take my life and then He said this, came to give you life and then He didn't say, He said, and... Life more abundantly. Meaning that my life gets better and better and better every day. And I'm here to tell you this. God wants your life to get better and better and better every day. And that is His working in our lives. And when He steps in at moments and dramatic change takes place, we call those moments kairos moments. And it's because they're moments that change everything. And so I'm going to jump into a story. Maybe I can explain this a little bit better. You can basically pick any story out of the Bible um, where God interacts with someone's life. And you can see kairos moments at work. But this week and next week, I'm going I'm to be preaching on a couple lives out of the Bible that has had kairos moments. So that maybe it can open up our understanding to what could seem like a real difficult thing. Because the truth of the matter is, if you've never had a hamburger, it sure is hard for somebody to explain to you what a hamburger tastes like. And so you may have gotten saved and you you, you walked out of that service and man, you, you knew everything was different. And that's as far in the process or the plan or the journey that God has for you went. He'll tell you there's more and more abundantly. He's got so much in store for you. So we're going to jump right to it. We're going to start in Genesis 32, verse 22. And we're going to start talking about a guy named Jacob. Because here, Jacob is one of those guys that's real easy for me to relate to. Because he was screwed up until he met Jesus. And then even after he met Jesus, he was still screwed up for a while until Jesus kept doing works in his life. And so I want to I want to just draw out this moment here. We're going to start in Genesis 32, verse 22, and then we'll just talk for a few minutes. And then I believe this. I believe, although I'm just laying out the principles of Kairos today, I believe there are Kairos moments available for those today that desperately need them. I don't believe you have to wait the next week or the next two or three weeks to, to get to the end of this series to have a moment that changes every other moment. I truly believe with all of my heart, and I have been building toward this series. If you've been with us for the last since Christmas, the Lord I've been preparing for this since the beginning of December. Because I know that God's about to shift. Change. And deliver us in ways we never have. You say, well, what does that mean, cricket? It's hard to explain what a hamburger tastes like to you had a hamburger. So, um, I know this. If you're open and you desire for a hand of God to touch you in a way you never have, It will be available, and I believe that some will even happen today. So let's go. Genesis 32, 22, it says this. And he arose that night and took his two wives. I made the joke this morning. That right there proves this man needs deliverance. (laughs) Why in the world would anybody put themselves into that situation, all right? And then I didn't understand the next statement, because he basically says the same thing again. It says, his two female servants. That's so weird. He already said he had two wives. Why did he tell me that again? I, no. <laughs> I'm playing. Oh, there, but Miss Doris is a little slow on that one, but you got it. <laughs> because those are kind of the same thing, huh? No, I'm playing. Said, and eleven sons and crossed over the fort of J- uh, J- Jabak. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them over where he had had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man. Now look at the capital M here. Here it says man, but you don't capitalize the word man unless it's a specific man. And theologians believe this man was not just a man. Some translations say an angel. But most theologians and scholars believe the M is capitalized here because it was Jesus. The man. Jesus. The Lord, the Savior, Jesus. And we'll see as we go forward with it. it. says, now he was wrestled with the man. Man wrestled him until the day broke. The, until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him. Now, what he said, the H here says, when he, being the man, when Jesus saw that Jacob did not prevail against him. In other words, Jacob did not beat Jesus. That's pretty wild. That they were wrestling, they were fighting, and Jake Jesus was not winning. I gotta be honest with you, there were times in my life that Jesus really wrestled with me. And I was so bound and determined to stay the way I was that I wasn't letting Jesus win. I said, you know what, I I just said, I want to be this way, I'm going to be this way, I've always been this way, and Jesus, you can be challenging me, pulling me, fighting with me, dealing with me, and I'm not going to cave in, but I'm here to tell you this, if you have not been letting Jesus win, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Let me encourage you, stay in the fight. Because Jesus will eventually win as long as you continue to fight. Alright? I mean, you might be resisting, might be fine, but my, I don't ever have a problem with anybody saying, you know that they're struggling in this area. Because as long as you're struggling, you mean you haven't given in. You haven't given up. I'd rather have a church full of struggling people than a church full of people that have quit everything, even expecting God to change them. I'm here to tell you, you know what I see the biggest problem with the church today? Is we have lost confidence in God. We, we've gotten so used to God just being an idea or a service that we've lost confidence in the hand of God, can still actually change anything in your life, in this nation, in this world, and God is still in control. If I can do anything for anybody... I would tell them, you need to get a bigger confidence in who your God is. You need to start believing that God can change your husband. You need to start believing God can heal your cancer. You need to start believing God does do miracles still today. Because for some reason, people have given up that God is still on the throne. And so we wrestle with God. Not giving Him the confidence that He deserves. Therefore, we don't give Him the space to do the miracle He wants to do on our behalf. And so, man, I I want to tell you, my God can do anything. My God can heal any sickness, any disease. My God can save any sinner. You give God long enough in the battle and God's going to win. Your child may be winning today. He said right there, he said, they wrestled and Jesus said he, that Jacob was did not let Jesus prevail. Your kid may be as far from God as you have ever seen them before in your life. And it looks like that they're not letting Jesus win. But the battle is not over. I'm telling you, I truly believe with all of my heart We're going to see kids come back to the Lord this year that we've been believing God for the last 10 years to make a turn. Because even though they have not let God win, Jesus hadn't given up either. I love the fact that He says that even though that Jesus wasn't winning, Jesus didn't quit fighting either. I I, I was a brawler in school. I did. I liked to fight. We would, for fun, we would put boxing gloves on in the yard and box with our buddies. And then on the weekends, we would be places we shouldn't be fighting for real. And I wasn't a big guy. I was a little guy with a big mouth. But I had big friends. But, um... So what I did a lot of times, though, was if I got into a fight and I wasn't winning real fast, I started trying to find a real fast way to get out of the fight... Before I actually got beat. You know, and here Jesus, the Bible says that he got into this fight and he wasn't winning. A lot of times when I think about God and I see I'm asking, believing God to do things and it doesn't look like Jesus is winning. A lot of times it makes me question the confidence I have in Jesus. And I'm telling you, if there's anything you could do this year. Anything that you need to work on this year, anything you should invest energy and time in this year is building confidence in that no matter what it is, your God can do it. Because if you don't have the confidence that God can, you might get in the middle of this battle and give up before he did. But if you don't give up, you will prevail. It, said, it says and, uh so it says and then he took and said uh, tell the brother let me get where I was he says and when he saw that he did not prevail against him he touched him in the socket of his hip alright when Jesus wasn't winning <laughs> he played dirty alright that's what it says Jesus wasn't winning in this battle so he reached down and touched the dude in his hip and it dislocated the dude's leg man now you're fighting a, a cripple so you would think Jesus for sure would win now, you know. And so I want you to know, there. I, and I'm just going to be honest with you. There's no depth too deep Jesus will not go to to be God in your situation. Jesus is not afraid. I'm just going to say it like this and not mean it like what you Jesus is not afraid to fight dirty. Yeah. He will go as deep into your business. He will move you to whatever circumstances, situation needs to take place. Your God loves you too much to allow you to stay in a place that's a lower level of your life than God intended for you to live. And if He has to reach down and fight dirty, that's what that was. If He has to have a boss... Get angry at you one day and fire you to where you ain't got nowhere else to turn but him. He'll let that happen. God loves me too much to allow my circumstances not to make me realize how bad I need him. And so you're saying, God, why would you let that happen? The question would be this. God, what positioning are you wanting my life to get into? But he hit him in the leg and it disconnected it. Alright, and it said this, and it says, Touched him in the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint when he wrestled with him. Now, this is a bad dude. Um, because even though he got his leg dislocated, he didn't give up. Most people, when they get hurt, they quit. How many times have you started looking in the phone book or looking up other churches' addresses because you came on a Sunday and somebody hurt your feelings? See, a lot of times we like to, we want to get in and fight, but the minute we get hurt, we're ready to give up. Won't you understand something? Sometimes you just got to fight, hurt. The best bag, box. I, I like boxing. I like to watch it on TV. To me, the best ones are when the blood's on the faces. You know what I'm saying? I don't like to see boxers bounce around and stay pretty when the match is over and they have to do this draw thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, beat the dude. Somebody just. But so you live when there's blood coming and all that kind of stuff. It's a good fight. Here, this you know this fight got good because somebody just got hurt. And this is what I said. And Jacob didn't give up. He says and he said. The Lord stepped back at this point and said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But He said, I will not let you go unless you bless Me. So He said to him, What is your name? And He said, Jacob. And He said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but it is Israel. For you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. That's where we're getting the title of our message today, The Prevailer. Because what you got to understand is this. It says he struggled with God and he struggled with man. A lot of times in my life, I have found myself in a place where I struggled with God. I struggled not understanding why God hadn't. I've struggled with God not understanding why he would bless them and not bless me. i struggled with God why he would let this take place in my... And I'm just going to be honest with you. I've struggled greatly in areas of my faith. I've struggled great. There were times when I, I would think, God, why have you even abandoned me? I, I've struggled in areas in my spiritual walk with the Lord. But I want you to know, that's okay. As long as you're still struggling, you're okay. It's when you give up It's when it's wrong. And there's been times in my life that I've struggled with man. I've struggled trying to get men to do what I felt like God wanted them to do, or tried to struggle in business with different financers, or different bosses, or different contracts. I've struggled. Man, if I be honest with you, if I had to describe my life in a sentence, it would kind of be like this. Man, most of my life I have struggled. I was either struggling with God or I was struggling with man. It's never seemed like it was all coming together at the same time. But you got to understand what happens when you struggle with God and man, you still a prevailer. It said because he had struggled with God and because he had struggled with man, he said, you have prevailed. What a prevailer is is not somebody still in a struggle. The prevailer is the one that has won when it's over. You didn't just go through this thing. You came through this thing and you won. And so I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with God. I want to take my hat up to you and say, Man, I'm so proud of you. Because you're struggling. The greatest testimony I hear usually on Sunday mornings, and I usually hear the same person. Telling it to me every week, (laughs) but when they walk in, say, "How you doing?" Well, I'm here. I'm like, "Praise God, you're here!" Because obviously, you got a lot of reasons not to be, you know. But thank God you are, because that lets me know you're just not rolling over and playing dead with whatever you're going on. You are getting up, and you are going through. Not when it's just easy, because the blessing doesn't come out of easy times the blessings come when you actually get a chance to prevail and it said this he said and Jacob asked him tell me your name I pray alright and he said why is it that you ask me my name and he said and he blessed him there we're going to come back and read some stuff in a bit but I want to jump right on over To uh, explain, for you to understand what this moment is in Jacob's life, this is a Kairos moment. Now, you would say, wow, you know, well, obviously, you know, he got saved. This is not Jacob's salvation. Because actually, if you go into Genesis chapter 28, we see where Jacob got saved. The Bible says Jacob was running for his life at a time and... You know, he'd gotten himself on a long journey, and he had went and laid his head at a place called um, um, Luz. And what Luz was, was a place that people, when they traveled through, they would stop for a rest. And there were springs there. And the Bible says one night, he was there, and he laid down there. He was on a journey. He traveled. He stopped. He laid his head on a... On a rock, not a comfortable sounding situation. For me, he was between a rock and a hard place because he was still running from his life. His brother was trying to kill him. And the Bible says that night God had an encounter with him. It says the Bible said he had a dream and God showed him a ladder ascending and descending from heaven. And God was on top of that ladder and God was telling the angels what to do. And as they were going back and forth. And Jacob jumped up, the Bible says, and said this. Wow. The Lord is here, and I didn't even know it. I'm here to tell you this secret. The Lord is here right now. Whether you know it or not. And anytime God is somewhere, you need to understand this. There's an opportunity for a door of change in your life to take place. The Bible says in Luke that Jesus is in a certain house preaching and it says all the scribes and Pharisees were there and it said this and the power of God was there to heal them all but none of them got healed it wasn't Until the Bible says that four men went up on a roof, tore the roof off, and lowered a lame man down. Did anyone get healed? I'm here to tell you, God can be here right now. And He has the power to change your situation and your life. But it does not mean that's going to take place for you today. You can be present and God be here and you not even know it. Another way to say it was, He said, God was here the whole time, is what it said. He says, and I didn't even realize. This is not just another Sunday, guys. I didn't get up today for today to be another Sunday. I got up today because this is the day that the Lord has made. Then He tells me what I can expect. Out of this day. He says that I will rejoice and be glad in it. The reason why I can rejoice and be glad in it. Because God's desire for this day is for it to be good for me. And do good things for me. And in me. And through me. God has good things in store for those. It says. So. Jacob said, God was here and I didn't even know it. And then he said this. He took the rock that he was laying his head on. He said it, he poured all over it. And he said, he anointed it and he made it an altar. And he said this. I will call this place Bethel, which means the house of God. And then he said this. He said, if, he goes, if you will be my God and you will protect me and you will take care of me and provide for me. I will be your people," he says, "and I will obey you." And, and so we see salvation in Jacob's life right there. All right, he made a commitment to the Lord. God, you take care of me, and I'm going to serve you. That's what salvation is. You come and say, God, you know, what? take my life and take everything that I am, and I will follow you and serve you. And so we see that he got saved, but that wasn't this story. So now, since it was four chapters ahead of this, he was saved, but he was still screwed up. And you can be saved and still be a mess. You can be saved and still be depressed. You can still be saved and still be unhappy. You can be saved, still be bitter. You can be saved. But that's not God's plan for you. And so the Bible goes on four chapters and we see that there was a moment that God changed everything. In his life, but to understand what needed to be changed, we need to go back a little bit further in Jacob's life. So, if we go back to actually the first time we see Jacob, you go back to Genesis chapter 25. And in Genesis chapter 25, and this is going to be something totally off the wall, but we'll read it, it says, and and now 25 verse 21 says, and now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife. His wife was barren, couldn't have kids. And she was broken hearted, heavily burdened, and it was a great source of pain in her life. And so this is what I want to give away free right here, okay? This ain't part of the message. And I'm sure his wife prayed time and time again begging God to give her a child. But the Bible says this, when her husband started praying for his wife. Men, you have no idea the spiritual authority that God has given you over your family and your wife's lives most of the time men like to pray over what they want and we pray over our families but when's the last time men we prayed over what our wife wants when have you started praying God answer her every desire answer her every need God make me the husband she desires me to be Because when you men will start taking on the responsibility of praying over her desires, you'd be amazed at what God would do. Jacob didn't have a future. Or Isaac didn't have a future with his wife here because she had no children. It wasn't until he started praying over his wife did his future begin to change. So men, I want to put a challenge before you. Pray over your wife's needs and her wants yeah. as much as you pray over yours. Yeah. And you watch what God will do in your life and what he'll do for her. Because it's unique here how he said when her husband started praying for his wife to have a baby. Because get me honest with you, I, I was, when me and Jim got married, I was married for five years before we had kids. And man, I was loving life. I was married to a hot girl and I could go and do as we wanted to. We took cruises. We vacationed around the world. We, I mean, for five years, we did some fun stuff. And then all of a sudden, Jen messed the whole thing up by saying, Cricket, I'm ready to have a baby. You know what I'm saying? And so I got me that. that messed up all my running and going, I thought. And then, so we had the first And then she came to me and said, I want to have another one. And so after months of nagging, I gave in to her. And I thought we were done. And I enjoy my kids. I do, but I never wanted them. I enjoy them. And then what really threw me for a loop was just a couple years ago when she said, Cricket, I really want to have three children. And I said, Jennifer, I'm too old. (laughs) And so she wouldn't let it go and let it go. I'm going to be 60 when this third child graduates high school. I'm too old to have these children, but i am telling you this, for him to pray... For his wife to have a child, that's pretty wild. That means for a man, he put her needs above his own. Men, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Remember what I'm saying. right, I promise you. If you had not got it yet, you leave here. Walmart was pretty pit clean this morning. You better go. Don't forget that she is as important as you. Alright? So, that's free. Okay? <laughs> so, so and she began to pray because she she was barren. And the Lord granted... Whose request? His. Men, you have such spiritual authority in your home. If you would just operate in it. The Lord answered his plea. And Rebecca, his wife, conceived. And that word conceived there... I mean, it wasn't all just... He had some fun too. Alright? So, men... When your wife, when the happy wife, happy life. Start praying over what she wants, all right? But the children struggled together within her. And for the sake of time, we're going to speed this up. She got pregnant. And it said she had children. She just had one baby. She had twins inside of her. And the Bible says that he prayed and she got healed. And a life came inside of her. A lot of times what happens in us is this. The minute God puts His life inside of us, there's this war that begins to take place. Just because you're saved doesn't mean all of you is dead. As a matter of fact, you might have been completely happy and content when you were a sinner. You could lay down your head at night and rest, but when you get saved... This life on the inside of you starts warring with the life that you've always been, and this war on the inside of you begins to take place. And I picture in my mind on the on when they went and got the uh, what is it? It's not the sonogram, is it? The the aura, that's it. <laughs> uh, you, the ultrasound. It was probably one kid punching one, and the other kid punching the other, because there was this war going on on the inside of her to the point where she said this. Read, watch this. Um, she says uh, the children began to struggle and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? If I'm if if everything's good, why is this going on inside of me? Have you ever felt that way, god? god if I'm really saved then why is there a battle going on inside of my head? Why is there a battle going on inside of my heart? Why is there a battle going Paul, this thing I don't want to do, I do. And this thing I do want to do, I don't. Why is this battle here? The battle on the inside of you is proof that there is a God at work in your life. And I'm so thankful that there's a battle going on inside of each one of us. And this is what it says there. It says, it says, why am I like this? I believe every pregnant woman or my wife when I was around her, why did we ever do this? <laughs> All right. And a lot of times the enemy would want to make you think the the, the pressure and the stress that you're under now because you have gotten saved. And you can't just go out and act like everybody else without conviction and, and, and condemnation from the enemy comes on or, you know, or the the feelings and the pressures that come, we feel like, you know, why would ever get saved? It was easier not being saved because God don't just want you saved. He wants you with life. But He also wants to move you into more abundant life. And that's a process. It doesn't happen with a prayer. It happens with a life that God will lead you into. And then this is what it says. It says, so... so there they had the baby. And the Bible says here in this story that when she gave birth to the child, we're getting back into Jacob's life again. When she gave birth to the child, that she went to have the children, and the first child that was born was Esau. But Jacob wasn't far behind because it says when Esau was born, Jacob came out holding on to his brother's heel. So the name Jacob means hill grabber. In one of the translations that it means. That's where people always ask me how I got the name cricket. Because I was born premature, five pounds, two ounces. And I was what they call a blue baby. And the blue baby is a baby that holds their breath. And their body turns blue. And so I was a blue baby. And when they brought me to my parents, my whole body was dark blue. I was five pounds, two ounces, all arms and all legs. And this is the truth. My mom and dad told the doctor, that's not our child. That's a black baby. And no, the doctors had explained to them that no, that's your baby. He's a blue baby. He's not a black baby. He's a blue baby. And you know, they got me breathing and, uh, but they said I look like a cricket. So boom, pa. Day I was born, I got that name. And I got to be honest with you, it's been a pain in the rear most of my life. All the way through elementary school, fight, 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 cause I was cricket. All the way through middle school, fight, 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 cause I was cricket. Alright, they, then when I got into high school, people tried to change it from cricket to roach. And so again, fight, 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 fight. It wasn't until I got into the destiny of God for my life, when I became a children's pastor, did cricket work. Alright, and then when I quit being a children's pastor and moved into, you know, youth pastor, it don't fit anymore. And so there are a lot of people that won't even call me anything because they don't want to call me cricket. But, you know, it's been a pain. This is kind of the name Jacob was given. He was given to him because of the way he was born. He came out holding on to a hill. He was a hill grabber. But this is what was going on. He was born into this world trying to get ahead by himself. This is the truth. In Jewish families, whoever was born first got blessings the second child didn't get. He got what they called a birthright, and he got what they called the family blessing. And the birthright gave him the authority to run the family, but the blessing gave him the spiritual blessing, but also more of an inheritance and better chance of going forward than the other kids got. And so it was very valued to have a um, um, very desire to be the firstborn child. thing about it is this. Jacob missed it just about by five seconds. You ever got so close to being or getting what you've always desired having or doing and it seems like you just missed it by just a little? Jacob's life started this way. He started his way missing what he desired so greatly to have to the point where he came out fighting that will. See, what you've got to understand about you and me is this. The minute you were born... The devil has been fighting you at the same time You were born with destiny and born with purpose. The Bible says that God knit you together. in your. He knew, you, uh, he knew your inward parts before you were formed in your mother's womb. He, Psalms 139 is all about how amazing you are. And the thing about it is this. The Bible says God gives us the desires of our heart. The dreams and the goals that are on the inside of us, God put in us. And then it says this. It says, though, that... He put eternity inside of each one of us, meaning that we know we're here for a purpose. Whether we ever fulfill it or not, there is eternity on the heart of each one of us. And see, most of the time we think just because there is eternity in us that we're going to reach eternity or perform destiny or become what we're destined to be. But the truth of the matter is this. We're not. Because the minute we're born, we're not born equipped to handle Destiny, Because we're born with a de- design and with a destiny from God, but we're born into a fallen world as a sinner. Amen. Now this causes big theological debates among different denominations. Uh, Church of God, they believe that a child is sinless and right with God until they get to about... 13, 14, 15 years old and they make a conscious decision to sin and that's when they become a sinner. We as a domination, we don't believe that. We believe that you are born into sin. And that's why Jesus told Nicodemus unless you are born again. You're born into a fallen world as a sinner. And you say, well, Cricket, I don't believe that. Well, then why does the Bible say all have sinned and come short of the glory of God instead of everyone above 14? Because we're born sinners. Another scriptural proof is, in Genesis it says that every seed, every tree, every herb, every person, every creature will bear fruit after its own kind. So since Adam and Eve, there's been nothing born but sinners because there's nothing been on the planet but sinners. We've never been able to bear anything. Humans have not been able to have a child that was perfect. It took God producing Jesus. That's why I didn't have an earthly father. Alright? So, we're born sinners. I did not have to... With a sinful nature. And a human nature. I have never had to sit down and teach my kids to say no. Not one time. I never had to teach my kids to say mine. I never... Sit down and had to teach my kids to punch. Their nature taught them this. Never had to teach my kids how to backtalk. Never had to teach my kids how to disobey. I've spent hours teaching my kids how to do everything the opposite of those things. But I've never had to teach them these things. Why? Because they were born with a sinful nature. And the thing about it is this... Jacob, when he came into this world, he came into this world with a sinful nature. And he had a destiny of God on his life, but he had a sinful nature. And with a sinful nature and a destiny of God, you trying to accomplish your destiny of God with your sinful nature, you end up doing what Jacob did, making a mess out of your life. You can't become what God created you to become without being saved and being a child of God. Don't happen on accident. And so Jacob come out fighting, trying to fight to get ahead. He had this drive on the inside of him to win. Had this drive on the inside of him. So since he, for years, he did it in his life without trying to do it God's way. You're never going to get God's will your way. You're only going to reach God's will, God's way. And so we see him coming out and him fighting there. But Jacob doesn't only just mean... Um, heel grabber it also is translated deceiver because see when we try to become what God has destined us to be or you try to live the life that you desire to have so badly the only way for you to get it without God being involved is for you to do it natural ways and natural ways will destroy a person He was an entrepreneur when you read in the scripture. The Bible says this. The Bible said that, um, well, let's jump back. so he was born with this sinful nature. But not just born with the sinful nature. The devil began to make plots and plans to keep him from being able to be what God created him to be in the first place. Same thing with you. From the day you've been born on this planet, the devil has come after you. Set plans and put things to take place in your life to keep you from becoming and being all that God's created you to be. We can see it in the life of Jesus. When Jesus, before he was even two, the devil had set in um, plans to kill him before he had a chance to fulfill his destiny. We see it in the life of Moses. Before Moses was even had the understanding or the concepts to be able to resist the devil, the devil set out plans and things to kill him. Same thing with you. From the time you hit the planet, The devil's been putting people and doing things and causing you to perceive and making you feel and generational curses and demonic prayer. You say, well, I don't believe in the devil. He's been after you your whole life. He's been trying to stop you your whole life from the day you were born. And the sad thing about it is this. We come into this earth without an opportunity or a chance of winning. Because this is the truth. Evette, you help me real quick. We come into this life... Not being able to understand, read, or comprehend English. And that's the language that we speak. Other countries speak there, but And so, theolog- our psychologists say this. When a child is born, they're born with two fears. Naturally, just only have two fears. One of falling. That's why when you're holding a baby, they'll go... Pfft, like that for no reason. That's a fear of falling. And they're a fear of loud noises. They have no other fears. But... In the course of the next five to seven years in a child's life, every fear, phobia, insecurity, process of thinking is developed. And that means this, that the the Bible says that God didn't give us the spirit of fear. That means fear is a spirit. So what happens is, we come on this planet, and even before we're five years old, the devil has begun to cause people to react certain ways, do things to us, cause us to perceive certain situations, certain ways. And the best way to say it is lies, trauma, damage the enemy puts into people's lives before they even have a chance to fight against it. Because the only thing more powerful in a person's life than a lie of the enemy is the Word of God. The only thing that can defeat a lie of the devil or heal a wound of trauma that the enemy has put in a person's life is the word of God. And so what happens is most people come into the earth and they, they're they born. And before they even have a chance to become or fight back or defend themselves. Before they're five to seven years old, the devil has done lied to them in so many ways. Caused them to perceive things such a way. We can see it in Jacob's life. Here's one probably a lot of people have been lied to in their life before you even thought. The Bible says when Esau was born here, it says he was born hairy and red. Jacob was born smooth and didn't have hair on him, and he was different. Very goes into detail of how different he was than his brother. How many times I talk with people, and the devil has lied to them you're different than everybody else in your family? You're different. You don't belong, you don't fit in. You don't that didn't happen as an adult. That was reinforced as an adult. But the devil started telling that lie to you when you were just a child. There's some you know, you're the black how many times have you felt like you were the black sheep of your family? You think God told you that? No. The devil's been lying to you from the minute you are and the problem with it is when you build a life On lies, it's only a matter of time before you get in your future and you start getting hit with a few things. And because your life is built on hollow lies, then you start seeing people's lives fall apart. My wife had a nervous breakdown seven years ago when our life was better than it had ever been. Our church was bigger. Do you remember then? We actually had 500 people here on that Easter Sunday service. Biggest this church had ever been. Two days later, my wife has tied herself to a concrete block and threw herself off a river bridge. Why? It made no sense. She just got her dream house. We had the most beautiful daughters. They were excelling in every way. Financially, We had more money in the bank as a married couple than we'd ever had because up to that point, we didn't make any money because I quit my job when we got married. She quit her job when we got married. So we was broke. Don't do that if you're thinking about getting married. And so for the first several years of our marriage, I did not make a lot of money. Then when I did make a lot of money, we put it in the bank. We came here to start a church, and we spent all that money. And so we were broke. Finally, God had gotten us back to a place the church was doing good. God was blessing business, and we had money. And all of a sudden, for no reason, when life was at its best, we had built it. All of a sudden, man, there was a lie that the enemy had put in my daughter's, my wife's life. And when things were the greatest, it fell apart. That's what the devil's been doing. From the time you want, and so what he did with me was this. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. We'll get back to it. And so my wife had been abused her whole childhood. And she used to think, she'd tell herself, if I can just get out of high school, I can get, I will survive this and go on with my life. Well, the truth of the matter is this you can survive something and it still destroys you. Because the enemy, he doesn't, if he couldn't kill you when it happened, then he's put that lie there or that trauma there or that brokenness there to be able to destroy the life that you're going to build in the future. And when my, our life had gotten the very best, the devil began to lie to Jennifer and say, if anybody knew what had really happened to you. They wouldn't want to be a part of what y'all do. And it ate at her. And it ate at her. Until her life fell apart. But I'm here to tell you it is. Everywhere the devil has ever lied to you. God has given you a word. And the only way to defeat a lie. Is to replace it with the word from God. And when you replace it from a word from God, it builds a life that cannot And Y'all saw Jim preach here two weeks ago. That girl don't look sick. That girl don't look weak. That girl don't look broken. That girl is something. And it's not because of what she hadn't been through. It's because of everything the enemy tried to destroy her with. We went on a manhunt to find every line both of our lives and replace it with the truth. So that we could build on something. Jacob, he decided he was going to go after the life on his own. So he, he, he was born the Bible says this about Jacob. It says his brother Esau was hairy and was a manly guy and he was his daddy's favorite. See, right there the devil started trying to put rejection on him. Your daddy loves them more than he loves you. He put abandonment on it because the Bible says that Jacob would stay back at the tents when Esau and the father would go off. He was abandoned by his father. That's a, an attack of the enemy. When, when, a, when a child's father abandons them, man, it puts such trauma into a life that the devil's is just waiting to destroy you. The devil has set out to destroy every one of us from the day we were born. I wore my snakeskin jacket on purpose today. Can I tell you why? I'll tell you the tr- tactics and the tricks of the enemy. In the garden, the Bible says in Genesis 1 that Everything God made was good. Everything God made was good. Genesis 3, the Bible says, and the devil looked at the serpent and used him because he was more crafty than all of the other animals. Didn't say he was more evil. Didn't say he was more sinister. Did not say he was more, you know, susceptible. Didn't say. He looked at him, and do you know what makes a snake crafty? It's not his bite, that makes him dangerous. It's his camouflage. And, you know, I don't understand this concept because this is not me. But some people think snakes are the most beautiful creatures on the earth. I'm like, those are weird people. They, I don't like snakes. But I think this jacket looks pretty good with snake skin on it. Uh, you know where I think the snakes are the most beautiful? When they're on boots or they're on belts or, you know. But... The devil looked at this snake and said, All right, didn't say he was bad. What he saw was something that he could use. He saw something that he could use to destroy that snake's future. What God had given the snake as camouflage to protect him. See, the enemy looked at some of us and saw weakness in our parents. Something that God gave us to protect us. But the enemy looked at it as something that he could use to destroy us. And so our parents would be abusive. Our family members that should have protected us would do horrible things. Or even mothers that God gave us to nurture us. One of my major ones. You all know I'm ADD, ADHD, I'm dyslexic. I was every teacher's nightmare. And... Truth be told, for years I thought I was stupid. Because there was a time when my mama had just gotten saved and got a great heart. My mom loved the Lord passionately. But she still was young and still hadn't got victory over her mouth. And when she'd get mad, she would holler, you stupid idiot. So guess what I felt? It was another lie that he would build. And when he got time for me to get into high school and things like that, I would listen to that lie. I'm a stupid idiot. And then look at my learning disabilities. They prove it. And listen to what everybody else said about me. Now, look at my report card. and Then look at my future and the lie of the enemy. I've got to be honest with you. I can prove I'm not stupid. Look at my wife. (laughs) Stupid people don't pick women that amazing, you know. But... See, see, the way the enemy worked from the very beginning, from the very beginning, before we have a chance, that snake, for some, see, we, a lot of people, when you think of a snake, you think of the way they look now. The Bible called him a serpent. And the thing about it was, that serpent, the devil came up to that serpent, and the snake wasn't scary then. Because nowhere in the Bible do we see Adam and Eve saying, That when the snake crawled up to the tree, that she screamed and ran away. Because if the snake were to crawl up to me, guess what I do? I scream and run away. Alright? So obviously it wasn't scary. The Bible says that, you know, the curse of the enemy's work in his life made him now have to crawl on his belly. Theologians believe that they had legs and they walked upright. The enemy took something that God called good two chapters before. And saw that it was something that he could use against this snake and destroy this snake's future. And when the snake actually gave into and allowed the devil to use that, the Bible says the curse for that snake was for him to crawl on his belly for the rest of his days and have to eat the dust of the earth. He lived a life at a lower level than God ever intended for him to live. This is the power of the enemy at work against us in our lives. He's taken areas or used circumstances or allowed us to perceive things in certain ways to, to not understand or see the truth and to believe a lie or a trick or be traumatized or hurt in ways when we were so young that it will affect the rest of our life. Going forward, we will live a lower level than God ever intended for us to live. But then God gave His Word. In the Bible, see Jacob here, he, he suffered from daddy rejections. Then his mom had generational curses. He said, I don't believe in that. Then why are the odds so high that if your dad's an alcoholic, you're going to be an alcoholic? Generational curses are real. Sins that are passed down from one generation to another. And Jacob's mother was a deceiver. Because it was her idea to trick the father. And she came from a family of deceivers. It ran rampant. Her uncle Laban tricked him into marrying Leah and then tricked him into getting his sheep. There was a generational curse at work in Jacob's life. And because he did not realize generational curses were at work in life, Jacob was a deceiver. And he was a a self-promoter... And he decided that whatever it cost in life, he was going to get what he wanted. The Bible says he was very good. He was an entrepreneur, obviously, because he went outside of his tent and built a restaurant, waiting for his brother to come to take advantage of him. You know what I'm saying? He price gouged. He made him a bowl of soup for a birthright. And he thought, if I can just get a birthright, this thing that I've been fighting my whole life to get, I can finally be happy. And he tricked his brother and deceived his brother. he, He took advantage of his brother's weakness at that moment and got the birthright. But let me tell you something. Anything you get in your life out of desires out of God won't be enough. You're never going to be able to watch enough porn to be happy. You're never going to be able to take enough drugs to be happy. You're never going to be able to drink enough alcohol to be happy. You're always going to need another. And when Jacob got the birthright, it was not enough. Because the next chapter we see Jacob, now that he's got the birthright, it's not fulfilled him. It didn't make him happy. Didn't make him what he desired to be so greatly that he now moved into deception. And the Bible says that the father got ready to give the blessing now. He, Jacob already had the birthright, but now he's fixing to give the blessing. And so the mother came to Jacob and said, Hey, your dad's about to give the blessing. We need to dress you up. And so for a long time I thought, boy, his mom's a, a bad lady. But do you know how Jacob, old Jacob was when that happened? 76. 76 years old. So then I had to realize, at some point, don't matter what your mom and dad did, so at some point, you're going to have to decide you're an adult. And you have something to say about what you do anyway. I understand. I don't lighten any trauma or anything you've been through. Or, but at some point, you've got to decide that I'm an adult. And I don't have to be what I've always been. And I don't have to do what I've always done. That I don't have to respond and live broken the way that I am. But he didn't decide that at 76. He was old enough to know better. And so, what that lets me know this. It's not a knowledge thing. It was an inside thing. Jacob was what he had been called. He was what he had been through. He was... What everybody said he was. So he, you know what he did? He decided that since I am that, I need to change it. And the Bible says that when his brother got red, the dad told his brother to go out and kill an animal, come back, he's going to give it a blessing. So he went and him and his mom put on Esau's clothes, and then he put on hair on his arms to feel like the hairy brother and on his neck. Because what he decided was this, if I can't be what I want to be, I'm going to try to at least trick everybody into thinking I am. And so he started living a Facebook life, or he started living an Instagram life, and he started living a life that he wanted to fool everybody with, thinking that if everybody thought he was something, that he would actually be happy. There's a rule at our house I'm not allowed to post on our Facebook page. Because, Jennifer says, you don't have any idea what you're doing. You'll take a picture of the girls in the playroom and you'll post it and everybody will see the playroom's messy. I said, playrooms are supposed to be messy. And Jennifer goes, no, you don't never look at the background before you post it. I said, Jennifer, people know me. I can't even wear clean clothes. Why would they think I have a clean house? And she's like, great, no, we're not going to post that. truth is this, when we post stuff and you post stuff, if I want to find out what you want your life to be like, I can go look at your Facebook page. If I want to find what your life really is like, I need to come to your house. And Jacob thought, if I can just make everybody else think I'm something, then I might actually get what I'm after. And the truth of the matter is this, God can't bless your fake. As long as you try to fake being what you want to be, you can't expect God to bless that. Other, You might get other people's favor. You make him fool everybody else. But I'm here to tell you this. It don't matter what everybody else thinks of. Because blessings only come from God. And he was trying to get Jacob to bless his fake life. And the truth is this. We have so much brokenness in us. That the only time we ever feel happy is when we're being fake what we want the world to see, but when we get in our own room and we shut the door and we actually have to deal with our own self, we find out, or we have to look at the realization that everything that we are working so hard to do is fake. God don't bless our mask. He can't because that's not who you are. God can't bless our brokenness. And so as long as we choose to try to We spend more energy trying to make everyone else think that we're something that we're not. We're never going to get to be free to be what God made us. And then this is, we'll speed up here. And this was, so he he tricked him and he ran off. And he spent the next 21 years running from the fake life he created. Esau said, I'm going to kill you, and Esau could. He got the blessing. But he was just as messed up as he'd ever been. You may get the job. You may get the car. You may get the house. You may get the wife. You may get everything. But if you did it, broken and without God, you're going to have to spend the rest of your life trying to hold that house together and running from here to there, running everywhere you can to try to stay living that life. Because it's not real. It's not real. But then there came a day that we call a Kairos moment. One of the major teachers of Freedom Ministry says this. He tells a story about a car that has a flat. And he tells a story, it was his aunt's car and it was a Volkswagen and he was a teenager. So he went, his aunt called him and he was going to be the hero. So he drove his Ford or whatever American car it was up to where the car was and got out with this American made tire tool to take off a German made car tire and since that tool that he was using wasn't made to fix what was broken he ended up tearing the car up so bad stripping off every lug wrench because it didn't fit right that no longer now was it a flat tire but it was a broken car a lot of times we keep trying to fix what's broken with the wrong tools You're never going to be able to fix what's broken without it being the right tool, which is the Word of God. Nothing replaces what the enemy has done. Nothing heals the damage that the devil has done in your life. That wasn't even your fault. You didn't even have the opportunity to fight against him before he did it without the Word of God. But then Jacob finds himself there at the brook and he was so tired of running he was so tired of living fake he was so tired of trying to hold it and he was blessed he had two wives he had a lot of stuff he was making it in life but he still was so miserable that he said I'm going to go back and try to make it right with my brother even if it kills me so he moved his family across the river so that he wouldn't die they wouldn't die if he did and then, while he was waiting on Esau to arrive, God showed up and there was a Kairos moment. God showed up, and let's talk about that moment, and then I'm going to let you go. In that moment, what happened was this God came down and said, Jacob, I've seen you all your life struggling with being Jacob, I've seen you struggling your whole life trying to get what you wanted or trying to get where you needed and trying to be happy and fulfilled. But I'm not going to be okay with you not being happy and fulfilled the way I want you to be. So if me and you got to fight over this thing, we're going to. And Jesus and him began to fight. And somewhere in that fight though, Jacob got it. This is what he said. He said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. He was tired of having the empty blessings that daddies could give. He was tired of having empty blessings that big sheep herds could give. He was tired of having empty blessings that the life of a deceiver and a life that you can make on your own. He came to the point he realized... I'm never really going to be blessed unless God does it. You know, I can, I can fool everybody else in the world and I can have the biggest cattle fields and I can have the biggest cars and all, but I'm miserable and broken and unhappy because the only way I can be happy and blessed and fulfilled is if you do it, God. So I don't care what else happens. I don't care what I gotta go through. I'm not letting you go, God, until you give me the blessing that I know only you can give. Because I'm telling you, I've had money. And I've lost money. And I've got money again. And it didn't make me happy in any which way. I'm saying, I've had good jobs and... Good careers. I've, I've had, there was a time where I worked for the third largest church in America. There was a time that I worked for the largest televangelist in America, and I had fame at a certain level, and I was still messed up and broken. It didn't fix it. And Jacob came to a point where he was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And when he realized that, don't matter what you get in this life, is not going to fulfill you, heal you, or make you happy. Only thing that will is if you get a hold to Jesus. And check this out. And Jesus gets a hold to you. That's a Kairos moment. He got in a hold of a lot of things. But this is the first thing that cared enough to get a hold of him again. And Jesus grabbed him. And they went at it. And then Jesus touched him. Until you decide that you're going to hold on to Jesus. Even if it hurts. You're not going to get this moment. He said... My hips hurt but I'm not letting go My feelings may get hurt But I'm not letting go My faith may be bruised But I'm not letting go Sometimes you gotta hold on to hurt Because if you'll hold on to hurt Kairos is about to take place And this is what the Bible says The next question Was the one that determined Whether it was gonna take place or not And the angel says I'm not gonna let you go to you bless me And Jacob had failed this test. Every time we see this test came up in his life before, the angel said, what is your name? The last time we see that question asked to him was when his dad reached up and touched his fake faceer. He was trying to make everybody around him think he had it together. He was big and strong and he'd killed an animal and he was trying to fool everybody. And his dad said, what is your name? He said, my name is Esau. This time the angel gave him a test. He says, you know, are you sick of being fake? Are you sick of fooling everybody? Are you sick of putting yourself out there one way but closing the door? And being another broken, unhappy, depressed, oppressed. And he said, yes, I'm tired of being fake. My name is Jacob. And right when he admitted that I'm a deceiver... I'm a heel grabber. I can't do it on my own. Everything I do fails. Nothing satisfies. The angel looked back at him and says, Your name is no longer Jacob. Your name now is Israel. Which means this. Israel means triumphant with God. One translation says Israel means prince. But see triumphant with God means this you're not a winner by yourself anymore but as long as you keep a hold to God you're going to be triumphant one translation of the name Jacob means this because when his hip got dislocated it means unable to stand without help He said, or Israel means, to able to stand without help. God changed his name saying, Jacob, you're no longer going to have to do this by yourself. Your daddy may have abandoned you and rejected you. You may have inherited generational curses from your family, your mother's side. You may have been used and abused by family members. Your uncle Laban has taken advantage of you in unfair ways. You've been broken. You've been battered. You have tried to make a successful life on your own and you're still miserable. So that's what Jacob's had to do. But you're no longer going to have to be Jacob. You're now Israel. You're never going to have to do it on your own. I'm stepping into the picture. And everything you couldn't be, I will make you. If you will just understand that I can do this. If you allow me to be your God. And then this is what the Bible says. And this is where I want to close with. The Bible says that God blessed him that day. Now what's interesting is when you read forward in the Bible. You would think from that day on. You would only see God call him Israel. But that's not what happens. All the way through the Bible. They'll call him Jacob sometimes. And they call him Israel sometimes. But God called him Israel. So you told me we ought to call him that. Do you know what? There were some days he woke up and he felt like Jacob again. But he didn't change who God was. The devil's going to come back and tell you, you're still Jacob. And you're going to have to say, that's okay. Because as long as Jacob kept a hope to God, he was Israel. That's okay. And then we find all the way... Years and years later, in Exodus chapter 13, we find Moses standing in front of a burning bush, the presence of God. And this question was asked again. See, Jacob asked, Jacob, the angel said, what is your name? And the angel said, uh, Jacob said, Jacob. But then it said, Jacob said, but what is your name? And the angel never answered. Or God never answered. Because it wasn't about Jacob knowing God that day. He had already met him two chapters before. It was about God showing Jacob who Jacob was. And who God was going to turn him into once he allowed God to work in his life. But when you jump forward into Exodus 13, we find Moses standing before the presence of God. And he said, what is your name? Who am I to say that sends me? And the Bible says, God said, I am that I am. But he didn't stop there. The next scripture says this. It says, And tell the children of Israel. Now, do you know who the children of Israel were? They were the people that Moses was supposed to go back to and deliver. They were people that needed deliverance. So in, you would think if you were going to send somebody back, you would want to show them how amazing of a person you are and so he said go back and tell the children of israel that the god of your father abraham and the god of isaac and you would think at that moment he would have said and the god of israel because that's who the children of Israel that were in slave and bondage at that time considered themselves to be. The children of Israel, not the children of Jacob. But they had all the signs of the children of Jacob active in their life because they were under oppression. They were slaves. They were being abused. The work of the enemy was rampant in their life. But they called themselves the children of Israel because they did not understand that it's okay to... For there to be a God of Jacob. What I mean by that is this. See, a lot of times, we don't think God is God until we become Israel. But you need to understand that when you allow God to be God in your Jacob, it takes the people that you're called to deliver and gives them hope that there was a time that you were broken too. There was a time that you're screwed up too. And God didn't abandon you. You're still the God of Jacob. And if you are the God of Jacob, you can be the God of me. As messed up and screwed up as I am. And if there was hope for Jacob, as bad as hell as he was, there's hope for me. And I know that if I let the God of Jacob into my life, then I will eventually become the children of Israel. But see, we try to play so hard and play mass, saying that I got it all together. I don't have brokenness and hurt. But your ministry determines on are you willing to let God take all the mask off and get into the very parts that the enemy tried to destroy and heal you from the inside out. This is what Kairos is. It's not getting a touch and rattle and shake. It's God going into the inward part. Can I can I take just a minute more? Can I tell you this? Just a minute more. Can I tell you my Kairos experience that changed my whole life? I got saved now, but several years ago, my sister, there's six of us kids. And all of us have had our ups and downs. But there was one of my sisters that's different. From an early age, she'd become a drug addict. Not just smoking weed or pot but I mean she was doing that in high school but by the time she graduated she was full on meth addict addicted to every hard drug you could possibly imagine when she graduated high school she ran away from home and we had no idea where she was my father resigned his church and said I'm not my first ministry is my family he quit the church he got in his car and drove to Oklahoma City because that's where we knew she was living because she had called there We didn't know where she was at. Didn't have a dress or anything like that. And he stayed there for a month in his car. And he would drive around that city praying that God would deliver her. And one morning at 5 a.m. My dad pulled up to a Walmart to go in Walmart. And when he was walking in, my sister was walking out. And she was addicted to meth. She was pregnant. She was so involved in a world that we were raised so differently from being in. And we didn't understand what was taking place. Dad told her, Crystal, I love you. He fed her. He said, please come home. She wasn't ready to come home. So my dad drove home. It wasn't two weeks later, Crystal called and said, can I come home? She came home pregnant. She came home addicted to meth and every other drug you can imagine in a relationship now that was just abusive as you could imagine. But she came home. And for years, they tried to pretend to be Christians. They would be saved, but they weren't Christians because there was no fruit of it in their life. They were so broken and they would get addicted and get off and get addicted and get off. And their life, their family, football, their kids were beginning to be traumatized from living in that kind of environment. And so my dad took her one weekend to an event called a Kairos Never heard of that. And they went. And when they came back, my dad was crying for a week. Couldn't talk. My dad's the holiest guy. I know, I'm telling you. I, I grew up with the man. I can't tell you. He is the same all time. He gets up at four every morning. And when we didn't even have the money to have a heater, or he'd be in front of the stove praying. At four, I mean, but my dad came back weeping for two weeks. Couldn't speak. Crystal came back smiling. i have never seen that. They went back over a course of a couple of months. They went to Kairos multiple times. I'm here to tell you this. My sister's never taken another drug. Never. She, her family, she's got the most amazing family. And I did not understand what happened. And my dad just wept and wept. And he used to be bound by fear and worry and all that kind of stuff. I can tell you this. He was different. So they wanted me to go to this event. They said, you need to get free." And I'm like, "I'm not a drug. I don't know what you're talking about." All right, I didn't know what I needed, and so they just kept pestering me and aggravating me. And then I went with them once, and the whole time it was like they were watching me. I would be sitting there; they just said, "We sit in the sermon They just watched me. All right, so we were in this event. It was at a church of ten thousand. They only let thousand people in, and when they got in, they. Um, there was, you were separated very far There was a girl sitting about six rows down from me Before it ever even started I said introduce yourself Somebody tell them why you're here So I just wanted to say I'm cricket." I said uh, I'm here because my mom and my I mean my dad and my sister have been here It's radically changed I have no idea what this is So I'm here to see And she goes Well she said about this. She was gorgeous I forgot to tell you that part Just dropped dead gorgeous I mean you when you looked at her You knew there was something and she when I said she when I told her that she goes, I'm so and so and I'm a Budweiser girl. And instantly, you know yeah, I've seen it, she's one of the ones on billboards all over Dallas and that kind of stuff. She, she that was her. She was gorgeous. Budweiser girl. They hired their looks. And she said, My roommate's a Budweiser girl too. She said she came a couple months ago to an event. She said our night our life is nightclubs and sport events. She said we're alcoholics. We're addicted to every drug you can imagine. My roommate came here. And she had an encounter with something. And she came home. And she's free from everything. And she's happy. And she's going to church. And she's not on drugs anymore. and She's happy. And she goes, I want that. I'm here for that. And over the next couple days at this Kairos thing. I watched it happen to her. You can see when it happens. Because people melt under the power of God when healing comes not slain in the spirit I'm not talking about that you don't got to believe in that but when Kairos happens everything you used to be is gone and God makes you something so I was there and I didn't know what to expect and Zach Neese walked up to play the first song because they they played 20 minutes of worship and then they start to this Kairos event and he strummed the guitar and when he did I don't, y'all know me I'll be as real with you as I can be I don't claim to see visions and dreams. If I have a dream, it's usually about being in a boat and falling in a lake while I'm fishing or something stupid like that. But I was sitting there, and the room went solid black. And I saw a long stem vase. Y'all know what that is? The ones that's big on the bottom, skinny neck. But it was upside down. It was ornate. It had all kind of designs. And I saw a hammer touch it, and it shattered and then I saw two hands scoop it up and when I say I saw breath you don't see breath but you could I just knew breath was blowing on it and the glass melted and turned back bright red like it was lava and that hand formed that vase exactly like it was but this time it was right side up and then the voice of God spoke and he said cricket you're not a tool and Boom, man, I was a mess. Just crumbled. And I went back to when I was about six years old. My dad had a church and six kids and we were poor. And he was working two construction jobs. And he had went to, um, he'd come home. And that day I would, I, my dad was a builder. So I wanted to be a builder. I'd built a fort out in the backyard. When dad walked in the house, I was like, dad, you got to come see. I remember. Said, dad, want to show you. I was so proud of what I did. And he looked at me and said, Cricket, if you want to talk to me, you got to go help me set up for prayer meeting. We were living in a parsonage of a church. That, so I had to walk with him over to the church and set up chairs. And the devil took advantage of what God called good. My dad did nothing wrong. But the devil told me, The only value you have is when you can do something for somebody. And that was, he said it then. And I probably didn't fully believe it. But every opportunity going forward, when somebody was like, man, thank you for doing that. Boom. The devil again reinforced that lie. They only love you because you do stuff for them. And so my entire value was built in my life of trying to make other people happy for what I could do for them. So I could never, I was a people pleaser. I was pastoring churches at that point, about 20 years. And 90% of what I was doing in the name of the Lord, I was really doing, built on a lie, trying to make people like me so I could get value out of a lie that the devil had told me about. And every opportunity he had to reinforce that lie he did, to where it was no longer just an event when I was six, it checked every way I did everything in my life. And in one minute God touched that and it was gone. It was like a weight came off my shoulder. And I can tell you this, 97% of what I did in ministry up to that point was not for God or for people. I can look back now and say, it was so that I could try to find value in what I was doing. But that day I was set free from that lie. And ever since then, I can tell you this, about 3% of what I do for people now is because I can find value in it, 97%. It's because I really do love people and I really do love God. And that never would have happened if I wouldn't have had that moment where I could quit being cricket and I could be what God could be with me. And that's Kairos. That's Kairos. Since then, man, God has done so many Kairoses in my life. I'm here to tell you The thing that you've been struggling with so long that the weight you've been carrying, the problems you've been dealing with, it's not your fault. I want you to tell you this. It's not your shame either. The devil's been out to get you from the beginning before you even had a chance to fight back. But I'm here to tell you this. You can prevail. The Word of God can set you free. God can speak a word into you. And it be instant. And then God will take... All the brokenness that you were so bound by and afraid of, and if people only knew, they would never. And they, and you can put it out to show that God doesn't just love perfect people, but He's the God of Jacob too. And then you start pulling people that have been held in bondage and slavery for so long, held back. God will use you pulling them out because you become the God of Jacob. That's a Kairos moment. I know I went long and I'm sorry guys but over the next couple weeks I'm not going to preach as long what we're going to do is going to be totally different we're going to do we're going to go through Kairos moments next week I'm going to teach another story so you can understand and then the next week after that we're going to start different members of our staff are going to begin to share Kairos moments and then we're going to open up the altars and we'll give people opportunities to be free from things That's not your fault. God never intended you to have to be bound by. But you can be everything you've dreamed of. Because God created you to be that. He gave you those desires of your heart. So I'm going to dismiss this way. If you're here and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, I want to give God an opportunity just to speak to you. And it happens in worship when you just finally say, God. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. God, I'm not going to give up on this thing. I'm going to continue to prevail. Because I want to be free. And if that means that I never have the strength to walk alone again, that's okay with me. Because I can be what you've made me to be. So Leah's going to lead us in a song. I'm just going to ask you to take the posture of a worshiper. I don't know what that means for you. For some, it means that they raise their hands before the Lord. Some kneel at an altar. Some can sit in their seat. But a worshiper's posture is focusing on the Lord. And I want you to tell the Lord that thing that you've been struggling—that no one knows—that you you're just so tired of feeling like less than, or not enough, or different, or or failure, or you're so bitter, or angry, or used. You just tell the Lord you're tired of that. And ask Him to touch you this morning. And then listen in this song. And if you don't get what God has to say today, I promise you this. I'll say, seek the Lord that He may be found. Over the next six weeks, you're going to have a moment. And you'll be free. You have no idea. Somebody asked me the other day, how in the world can you live four states over and pastor a church like you do I told him this because I'm free he didn't understand it I told him it because used to I was at that church seven days a week because I was so worried about what people thought but if the church needs a new pastor tomorrow I'm okay with that because I'm free and I just want God to be pleased so if I Got to do it before the state's over. I can do that. I don't mind driving every week. I love driving. I love travel. I, love, I worked at Pine Bluff campus all day yesterday in the freezing cold. It snowed yesterday. Did y'all know that? I ain't seen that. I walked down. It was snowing on me. All right, I, we were working in a building with no heat. Why would I do that stuff? Because I'm free. Used to. I had to do that stuff because I was so bound by what people thought. But I'm not anymore. As long as God's happy, I'm happy. And if I don't ever get to preach again I'm still going to tell everybody how to get free on the construction job or working at home whatever we're going to do. And you can be free too. So this song's going to play. Get to a posture of worship. Tell God you're sick and tired of being whatever it is. If it's hurt, say hurt. If it's bitter, say bitter. If it's shameful, say shameful. And listen. And you will have a touch. Amen. Ms. Leah, send us a song. If you would like prayer, you can come forward. And our prayer leaders will lay hands and pray with you. But expect God to meet you where you are this morning. Go ahead, Ms. Leah. I'm sorry.